season two, episode two. Look at us go. I know. We're starting the year off. Um, Coral just had surgery. Yeah. <laughs> so we're, we're starting, starting the year off a week, week two with hitting our insurance deductible. Yeah, <laughs> And needing a detail in my car. And needing, yeah. Because I went and got us coffee and I was like, ooh, I think I want a medicine ball tea this morning. It's all over my passenger seat, the entire thing. Didn't have a sip of it. Yeah. Um, she sent me a Snapchat of it, and it was it was quite, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, steam coming off your seat. Yeah, because it was like, <laughs> hot. So she spilled it, so she walked in pretty defeated. But I got my coffee. Yeah, at least yours was safe. Yeah, but they, they're out of everything. They're know, out of... no oat milk. There's no soy, soy milk, milk. Hazelnut. Yeah, so it's not really, I don't know, whatever. So annoying. Whatever. We're still vibing with it. But Little Miss Coral is sick in bed. She's not getting out. She's down for 10 days. She had, she just had her tonsils out. You know, that used to be a pretty normal procedure back in my day. Mm -hmm. It used to be just something that the doctors did. You take tonsils out. And we did it when we were like, I think I got my tonsils out when I was like six or seven. Yeah, I had my tonsils out. I was like two. Yeah. Well, you weren't two. And little. Oh, you might have been two. Yeah. You used to get really, really bad nosebleeds, like bleed to death nosebleeds. Yeah. That's why you had yours out. But now they don't do it. And Coral has been, she has been literally sick since October. Mm-hmm. A consistently sick. And the same thing over. And finally, we got a specialist in ENT to say, say yeah. okay, yeah. let's do it. But getting your tonsils out is more dangerous the older you are. And so, I mean, she's, I mean, she's hurting pretty bad. I know. Yeah. We have plans to just watch Vanderpump all weekend. Yeah. Yeah. And she is in her final semester of college at 17 years old. She will graduate in May from college three weeks before she graduates from high school. I know. So she's got a big, big year this year, but... But yeah, so but we've exciting trips in the work. Yeah, and I've hit my insurance deductible so, already. So week two. You so add me on there. I mean, I need some things. So anybody in my family needs anything done medically, this is the year to do I it. Mean, if you want to add me on to yours, if I could, I would. Because <laughs> I need some stuff done. <laughs> it's insane, crazy. Okay, well, our um, I I brought the case today, and sure, it's sure. it's a long one, Ooh, okay. and it's a disgusting one. Great. So we're going England side today, Ooh, running okay. England England case. Um, but first things first, let's do our housekeeping. Our we told you guys in episode one that this year we are doing trailer promos for our little podcast family, the people that are in our group. So today is our girl Amanda over at One Nothing. Yes. One W O N One Nothing. She well, just listen well, to her, her trailer. Yeah, her and David. Woo. Are you struggling with a lack of access to captivating entertainment and media? Are you faced with constant judgment and ridicule from friends and family for your inability to respond appropriately to sensitive situations? If this sounds like you, you might be suffering from being emotionally dead inside. (laughs) But it's not too late to make a change. One Nothing Podcast is a newly available treatment for being dead inside. Taken just once every two weeks, One Nothing can make a world of difference. 
By combining carefully measured dark humor to the amazing original formula of grisly fatalities, One Nothing Podcast has successfully entertained thousands of people suffering from death inside. And with access across all podcast platforms, treatment has never been more readily available. But don't trust my word. Here's some real-world testimonials from a few of our listeners currently undergoing treatment. From consistent doses of One Nothing Podcast, my posture has greatly improved due to being kept on the edge of my seat. The One Nothing Podcast comes on, everybody be like, shut the f*** up. I'll be quiet. But when the episode's over, I'll be talking again. Oh my gosh, buddy. I used to be on so many medications for blood pressure. And then I listened to One Nothing Podcast's episode on Kitty Genovese, moved into an apartment on my own, and haven't needed it since. That one really got my blood pumping. You know, listening to One Nothing Podcast, I'm, I'm not constipated anymore. I'm just full of shit. So what's stopping you from great entertainment? One Nothing Podcast is not intended for all audiences. Listeners under 18 years of age should obtain permission from your parent or guardian before downloading. Tell your therapist if you're predisposed to whining, complaining, leading podcasts poorly, being overall combative, or being easily offended, as One Nothing Podcast might not be right for you. So stop letting great content pass you by. Talk to your therapist today to see if One Nothing Podcast is right for you. Oh my god! (laughs) I can't. Oh, Amanda, that's great. That's good. (laughs) She is funny. (laughs) She covers, she covers, um, deaths by animal primarily. Yeah. For the most part. For the most part. She, she, you know, gets involved in some other stuff too, but her, we've, we've collabed with her. She's freaking hysterical. Yeah. Our Timothy Trugwell episode with her. Oh my God. She's a hoot. So if you haven't checked out her podcast, go do that. She's great. And we love her. We love Amanda. (laughs) Okay. I am Tracy. I am Samantha. This is the suspended sentence and we can be found at Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and Patreon, the suspended sentence podcast. Our email address is the suspended sentence podcast at gmail.com. You can buy Tracy's book, <laughs> IDV, and the 13 Components to Criminal Thinking and Behavior, anywhere that books are sold. Um, and once again, our Patreon, we are doing one ex- one extra episode every week on there. So if you're needing a little bit more of Sam and Tracy, that is the place to be. That's where we're at. Okay. Okay. So like I said, we're going to England's side today. I brought an England case. And we are going to talk about Rosemary West. Oh, Okay. Okay, so um, I think, I mean, if you've listened to any of our episodes, you know, trigger warning, this is not pleasant stuff. So if you're under 18, please, please hit stop and get out of here. This is not appropriate for you. Um, But here we go. All right. Rose West was born Rosemary Pauline Letts in Dortham, Devon to William Andrew Bill Letts and Daisy Fuller. She was fifth of seven children born into a very poor family. She was an angry child. She struggled in school, both academically and socially. She also had a weight problem in adolescence, which didn't help her already low self-esteem. The marriage of Rose's parents was very, very turbulent. Her father was a paranoid schizophrenic, prone to violent behavior, and had a very dictatorial presence. He also repetitively sexually abused Rose and her oldest sister, Patricia. 
Her mother underwent electroconvulsion therapy when she was pregnant with Rose because she has deep, serious depression, which she actually struggled with her entire life. While she was pregnant. Yes. Yeah. Daisy, her mother, eventually moved out of the family home, taking Rose with her. Rose, however, will go back to live with her father later in life. On the onset of puberty, Rose reportedly was fascinated with her developing body. She would deliberately parade naked or semi-naked around her house in the presence of her younger brother, Graham. On numerous occasions, by the age of 13, she would creep into nine-year-old Graham's bed in the night and molest him and her younger brother, Jordan. Gordon, I'm sorry. Rose was fixated on older men. She was known to do whatever she had to to gain the attention of older men and was very promiscuous. At 15 years old, Rose first encountered a man by the name of Fred West. They met at a bus stop. Fred was 27. She's 15? Yes. Initially, Rose was repulsed by Fred's unkept appearance. But quickly, she became flattered by the attention that he was throwing at her. And, like, he would meet her at the bus stop. He would always sit next to her. He would always tell her, you're beautiful, you're this, you're that, whatever. Which she got off on. She loved that. She loved that attention. But she refused twice to go on a date with him, but allowed him every day to accompany her home. Having discovered that Rose worked at a nearby bread shop, Fred persuaded an unknown woman to enter the the store and present Rose with a gift, accompanied by an explanation that the, quote, man outside had asked to give this gift to her. Minutes later, Fred would enter the store and ask Rose to go on a date with him. She accepted. Shortly after, Rose began a relationship with him. Again, she's 15, he's 27. So she would start visiting the caravan park where he lived with two children from his first marriage to Catherine Rena Costello. So they had two daughters, Anne-Marie and Charmaine. So one of those girls was not biologically Fred's. <clears throat> Charmaine was fathered by another man prior to him marrying Rena. Okay. Rose became a willing child, like took care of the kids. And she noted though that the kids, not she, it was noted that the kids were significantly neglected and she's the one who cared for them. Mm. So on several occasions in the early days of their courtship, Rose insisted that she and Fred take the girls on excursions with them, like to gather wildflowers. Like she pretended to be, you know, whatever. Within weeks of her first meeting, Fred though, Rose left her job at the bread shop in order to become a full-time nanny to Fred's children. This decision was made with the agreement that Fred would provide her with enough money so that she could tell her parents that she still had a job at the bread shop. Mm. But several months later, Rose would introduce Fred to her family, and they were very, very much against this relationship. Um, Yeah, I mean, I feel like any parent is going to be, but... Right, but her parents are... um, I mean, they're not great parents. Dad is already molesting her, so, I mean, they're not super great parents, but... They were, they were not in support of this. Rose's mother was unimpressed with Fred saying that he was like boastful and arrogant and that he was a pathological liar, which she would be correct about. But her father also was venomously against this. He even threatened Fred directly saying that he was going to call social services if he continued to associate with his daughter. Wow. 
Rose's parents absolutely forbid their daughter from continuing to date Fred. But... She didn't care? No. Absolutely not. So they made good their threat to go to social services. And they went there and they explained that their 15-year-old daughter was having a sexual relationship with an older man. And that they had heard rumors that she had begun to um, engage in prostitution from his caravan. In response... Rose was placed in a home for troubled teenagers in August of 1969 and only permitted to leave under very, very controlled situations or conditions. When allowed to return home to visit her parents on weekends, what'd she do? Went went to see him. Ran away and went to Fred's. Yep. On her 16th birthday, Rose left the home for troubled teenagers and returned to her parents while Fred was serving a 30-day sentence for theft and unpaid fines. So he was in jail. But upon his release, Rose left her parents' home and moved into the flat that he lived in. Oh, man. Shortly thereafter, Fred collected his daughters, who social services had taken when he was in jail. And um, so he went and got them. Rose's father made one final effort to prevent his daughter from seeing Fred and took her to the doctor, where they found out that she was pregnant. Oh. So in response, Rose was again placed into care. But she was discharged on March 6th under the understanding that she was going to terminate that pregnancy and return to her family. But that's not what happened. No. Instead, Rose opted to live with Fred, resulting in her father forbidding his daughter from ever stepping foot in his house again. Three months later, the couple left Fred's flat and relocated to the ground floor of a two-story house at Midland Road in Gloucester. Say that town. Gloucester. Sorry, English England people, if I'm saying this wrong. Gloucester. I don't know. On October 17th, 1970, Rose gave birth to their first child, a daughter named Heather Ann. But there's speculation as to whether or not it's Fred's or whether or not it's her dad's. Or her brother's. Right. We don't, we don't know. So, but at any rate, um, so... Two months later, after the baby is born, Fred again goes to jail. Damn, he's on a roll. Right. He was stealing car tires and vehicle task ta- tax discs, and so he gets prosecuted and he goes to jail. He remained imprisoned until June 24th of 1971. He served six and a half months, but while he's gone, Rose, keep in mind, is 17 years old, and she's looking after his girls. And telling them, you will refer to me as your mother. I'm here. Nobody else is. I'm taking care of you. I'm your mom. Now, according to Anne-Marie, the youngest daughter, she and um, Charmaine did not get along. They did not, they, they did not like each other, either one of them. And Charmaine was frequently subjected to extensive physical and emotional abuse. Although Anne-Marie was generally submissive and prone, and prone to like display emotion, i.e. cry when she would get hit, Charmaine wouldn't. Mm-hmm. She was like, straight up, fuck you. Yeah. You want me to cry? You want me to be afraid of you? I'm not, and I'm not going to. Okay. So despite how bad the abuse would get, her spirit would not break. She also would talk very, very disrespectfully <laughs> to Rose telling her like you're not my mom my mommy is going to come and save me my mom would never speak to me like this which just infuriated her which more just pissed her off, absolutely yeah. 
A childhood friend of Charmaine's named Tracy Giles, who had lived in the, um, in the upper flat of the Midland Road, would later say that there was one time that she entered the West Flat unannounced to see Charmaine naked, standing on a chair, gagged with her hands ha um, bound behind her back with a belt and Rose standing beside her with a spoon, like a wooden spoon. Now, according to the friend, Charmaine was completely calm and like unconcerned, un like nothing. She wasn't crying. She wasn't anything. She was standing there while Anne-Marie was standing by the back door, like terrified, crying, probably. terrified. Yeah. yeah. Hospital records will show that Charmaine had received treatment for a severe puncture wound to her left ankle in the casualty unit of the Gloucester Royal Hospital in March of 1971. But this incident was explained by Rose to have resulted in a household accident, and apparently they bought that. Hmm, okay, great. But one day, just out of the blue, Charmaine is gone. She's just gone. Rose would tell people that Fred's first wife, Rena, had come and got her and taken her to live with her in Bristol. She informed the staff at Charmaine's primary school that the child had moved with her mother to London. Hmm. When Fred was released from prison in June, he would also tell Anne-Marie, the youngest daughter, when she's like, where is my sister? Where is she? Oh, your mom came and got her. And when she would be like, well, what about, what about me? Like, why I didn't see her. And Fred would told her, quote, well, she wouldn't want you, love. You're the wrong color. Anne-Marie was white and Charmaine, again, is not his biologically and he was, or she was, had an um, Asian ethnicity to her. And so he told his little girl, your mom wouldn't want you, you're white. You're the wrong color. Christ. What a piece of shit. Also, how did he have Charmaine when like, it's not even his kid? Right. Right. Well, I'll tell you. But that wasn't even close to what the truth was, right? And you know that, right? Yeah. Like Charmaine's body was eventually found. Initially, it was put in the coal cellar of Midland Road until Fred got out of prison. Then he would take her body and bury her naked body in the yard close to the back door of the flat. Hmm. When her body was found, her body had been severed at the hip. This damage may have been caused due to the work that he was doing like in the yard or whatever. But at any rate, several bones, particularly the finger, wrist, toes, and ankle bones were missing, leading to the suspicion or the speculation that body parts had been kept as keepsakes. Mm -hmm. But eventually, Rena, mama, would come back for her babies. And she maintained like sporadic contact with her children every time that her and Fred would separate um, she's known to have visited Fred's family in Mooch Miracle, Herefordshire, to inquire about her children and to see where they were and to ask, you know, like how they were doing in the later half of August of 1971. Fred's sister-in-law, Christine, said that she was extremely depressed and very, very anxious about her children. But, and so her, his sister-in-law told her where they were and gave him the address. So she sought to confront him likely to go and get her daughters to pick them up. Yeah. So I don't know if he just took them or if she was afraid of him or, you know, what, what, but she was going to get her daughters. This was the last time that she was seen alive. She is believed to have been murdered by strangulation 
possibly in the backseat of Fred's um, vehicle, also possibly while she was intoxicated. When Rena's body was discovered, a short length of metal tubing was found with her remains, leaving open the possibility that she'd been um, restrained and subjected to sexual assault prior to her murder. The body was extensively dismembered, placed into plastic bags, and buried close to a cluster of trees known as Yee Tree Copus at Letterbox Field. Mm -hmm. Her body, though, would not be found for years. Yeah. So after that, after they kill two people together, they get married. Right. In January of 1972. I mean, what's the next rational step? Obviously. Obviously. It's true love. The ceremony took place at Gloucester Region. I can. I mm. wish that I could say these words. Register um, office with Fred, falsely describing himself as a bachelor on the marriage certificate. No family, no friends. Nobody would come. Nobody would be invited. Like they didn't tell anybody that they were doing this. <laughs> Several months after that, Rose is again pregnant with their second child. The couple then moved from Midland Road to an address nearby, 25 Cromwell Street. This is a famous address. Mm -hmm. Initially, this is a three-story home located to the city center and was rented from the council. But Fred would purchase the, pro the property from the council for 7,000 pounds. To facilitate the West purchase, many of the upper floor rooms were initially converted into bed suits, so they would rent the rooms out right. to supplement their income. To maintain a, a degree of privacy for his own family, Fred installed a, a cooker and a wash basin in the first floor landing in order that lodgers wouldn't have to come through the area that his family was in. They had their own separate entrance. Right. Only Fred and his family were permitted access to the back garden of the property. So they had, I mean, they had a business in their home. Convenient. Mm -hmm. Shortly after giving birth to her second child, Rose began to work as a prostitute, operating from the upstairs rooms at Cromwell Street and advertising her services in a local contact magazine. Fred encouraged her to do so, and in addition encouraged her to seek clients from the West Indian community through these advertisements. Huh. In addition to her prostitution, Rose engaged in casual sex with both male and female lodgers within their household and individuals Fred encountered via his work. Hmm. She also bragged to several people that no man or woman could ever sexually satisfy her. Huh. When engaging in sexual relations specifically with women, Rose would gradually increase the level of brutality to which she subjected her partner with acts as partially suffocating them inserting increasingly large dildos into their body. If a woman resisted or expressed like any pain or fear whatsoever, she would degrade, degrade them. What, you're not woman enough to take this? She was very, very degrading in what she did. Cute. Gotta love that. To many of these women, it became apparent that Rose and her husband, who regularly participated in these threesomes, took particular pleasure in taking women beyond their sexual limits. Typically... Typically, the sessions would include bondage. The West openly admitted to taking particular pleasure in any form of sex involving a strong measure of dominance, pain, and violence. To cater to these fetishes, they had a pretty impressive collection of 
bondage and restraining devices, magazines, photographs, videotapes, depicting bestiality, and graphic, graphic sexual abuse of children. Great. Yes. Rose controlled the finances in their home. So Fred would work and then give her the paychecks. The room Rose used in their house for prostitution was known throughout the household as Mandy's room. Mandy was the name that she would call herself. You know, that was her mm-hmm. street name or her call name or whatever. Um, but in this room, there were a lot of like hidden peepholes that would allow Fred to watch her entertain her clients. This is gross. Oh, it's extremely disgusting. Fred also installed baby monitor in the room so that he could listen hmm. no matter where he was in the house. The room included a private bar and a red light outside the door was installed and it would be turned on when Rose was in there so that she wouldn't be disturbed. That's how they knew that mama's working. Mama's working. Rose carried the sole key to this room on a chain around her neck. Fred installed a separate doorbell to the household, which her clients were instructed to ring whenever they needed services. Much of the money earned from her prostitution was spent on home improvements. Aw. That's so nice. At least she's yeah. putting it back into her family. Right. By 1977, Rose's father, Bill, reconciled with the couple. Oh, that's so nice. He became to tolerate his daughter's marriage and started developing, like, a grudging respect for Fred. Hmm. Hmm. Together, he and Fred opened a cafe that they named the Green Lantern. Now, these two upstanding men would very, very quickly run this business straight into the ground and have to file bankruptcy. Oh, I'm sure. But Daddy, Dad, was also known to visit Cromwell Street to solicit his daughter's services. By 1983, Rose had given birth to eight children. Jesus. At least three of whom were conceived by clients. Oh. Fred willingly accepted these children as his own and falsely informed them that the reason that their skin was brown or black was because his great-grandmother was a black woman. Oh. Okay. When each of the West children reached the age of seven, they were assigned numerous daily chores to perform around the house. They were seldom allowed to socialize outside the household unless Fred or Rose were with them. And they had to follow very, very strict guideline imposed on their parents with severe punishments if they didn't. The punishments were almost always physical. The children feared being the recipients of this and so they were they listened mm-hmm. they, where's Anne marie at this point she's there she's there mm-hmm. yeah the violence was sometimes irrational like just because rose wanted to mm-hmm. rose was typically the one who um the disciplinary in the house but sometimes she didn't even need a reason to just go off and just do whatever but she was really really careful she took care not to mark up the children's faces or their hands Oh, I mean, at least she's being, yeah. Yeah. Being smart about it, at least. Gosh. So first Heather, and then the younger brother, Stephen, would run away from home. Duh. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, obviously. But they would always return to the Cromwell Street after several weeks of either sleeping on the streets or staying with friends. And every time that they came home, they obviously, like, the punishment was pretty significant. Yeah. Between 1972 and 1992, the West children were admitted, admitted into the casualties unit of the hospital 31 times. Oh, my God. And the injuries were always explained to be accidents and never reported to social services. That's a lot of accidents. Right. 20 years, 31 times. Yeah, that's a lot of accidents. In September 1972, the West lay, led 8-year-old Anne Marie. Here you go. You asked about her. Mm-hmm. September 1972. They take little Anne Marie, who's 8 years old, to the cellar at 25 Cromwell Street. The child was ordered to undress with, with Rose, tearing her dress from her little body when the girl refused. She was then stripped naked, bound to a mattress, and gagged before Fred raped her. Jesus Christ. With Rose's active encouragement. After the rape, Rose explained to the child, everybody does this to every little girl. It's a father's job. Don't worry. And don't say anything to anyone, making it very clear that the sexual assaults will continue. And then they threatened the child with severe beatings and even death if she told anyone. Rose occasionally sexually abused Anne-Marie by herself and later took on extreme gratification in degrading her with acts such as binding her to various furniture before encouraging Fred to rape her and forcing her to perform household chores while wearing sexual devices and a miniskirt. Fred and Rose forced Anne-Marie into prostitution at the age of 13. Jesus Christ. Telling clients that she was 16. So Rose was always present in the room while she was being a prostitute to ensure the girl didn't reveal her age. Could you fucking imagine? Like, I'm going to just be in here and watch my little girl be raped for right. money. Like, what a... Well, yeah, and these guys, too, even if you think she's 16, I doubt she looked 16. No. But even if she was, even if you thought she was 16, I'm sure these are, like, grown-ass men. Right. I don't know what the law is in England. To anybody that's in England, will you please tell me what the age of consent is over there? But if the age of consent is 16, I think that's why they would be saying that she was 16. It's gross. I don't know. It's fucking disgusting. In October 1972, the West hired 17-year-old Carolyn Owens as their child's children's nanny. Okay, so they picked her up one night on a secluded country road as she was hitchhiking from uh, Tewksbury to her home in Cinderford, having visited her boyfriend. Learning that the Owens disliked knowing that she disliked her stepfather and was looking for a job, Fred and Rose offered her part-time employment as a nanny to their three children that were then in their household with a promise that she would be driven home each Tuesday. So several days later, she moves into 25 Cromwell Street and she shared a room with Anne-Marie, whom Owens noted was very withdrawn, obviously. She's a broken little girl. Rose, who was a prostitute, remember, explains to Owens that she worked as a masseuse when Owens asked her, why are all these dudes coming to see you? Like, why is there a red light? Why is there, like, what's going on here? <clears throat> but when she be- herself became a recipient of Wes' overt sexual advances, she left immediately. 
Good. And she went home. But they knew her route. They knew that she walked to work. They knew that she would hitchhike to go see her boyfriend. They knew what road she was going to be on. And so knowing that the, what her hitchhiking habits were, they formulated a plan to abduct her and share her for their, gradu- for their gratification. Mm. On December 6th, 1972, the couple lured Owen into their vehicle with an apology for their previous conduct and offered her a ride home. Initially, she believed them. She believed that they were sincere in their apology and she got in. She believed that she maybe had just mistaken their early in- earlier intentions and that that really wasn't what was going on. Yeah. But so she gets into the back seat of their car and then Rose jumps over and gets into the back seat with her with the explanation that she wanted to have like a girl's chat as Fred drove. Shortly thereafter, Rose began to fondle Owens as Fred questioned her about whether or not she had had sex with her boyfriend that evening. When she began to protest and say, stop, let me out, like knock it off, let me out of here, Fred did stop the car. But he opens the back back door, calls her a fucking bitch, punches her in the face, which knocks her out, gags her with a scarf and duct tape. And they proceeded to have a very, very long sexual assault against her. When she would scream, Rose would smother her with a pillow, further restrain her around the neck, and then perform oral sex on her. Realizing that every time she struggled, it got more intense, she stopped. She stopped struggling and she just was like, pretended to like it so that they would stop because they, they, they wanted the fear. the fear of it. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> so they keep her all night. <clears throat> this goes on all night long. The following morning, one of the kids were like, why was that girl screaming all night? What the hell was going on? So he threatened her, obviously, that he would keep her locked in the cellar and allow his black friends, this is his words, that's a quote, his quote, black friends, to abuse her. And when they had finished, they would bury her beneath the paving stone, the paving stones in the town square to get her to stop screaming. Jesus Christ. Fred then claimed to her that he had killed hundreds of young girls adding that Owens had primarily been brought to the house for Rose's pleasure. He and Rose then calmly asked Owens whether she would consider returning to work as their nanny. After this, you think I'm going to come and be your nanny? You're on straight crack. But she's terrified, and she knows that if she says no to them, that they're going to kill her. Yeah. So she says, yeah, this wasn't so bad. Yeah, I liked that. Blah, 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 blah. Like, played it, right? Mm -hmm. And she, in fact, even got up. And went upstairs and vacuumed the house and did the dishes and pretended like she was going to go to work there until she got the moment to run and she fucking ran Good. and she went home. So she was obviously, not obviously, but one of the things that, that women who go through something like that, there's a great deal of shame associated with what happened. Right. So when she returned home, she was far too ashamed to tell her mama what happened, but her mom noticed welts bruises cuts all over her daughter's body and she was not okay and so she finally just pushed 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 until owens told her what happened her mom immediately called the police yeah and the west were actually arrested 
on charges of assault, indecent assault, and actual bodily harm due to rape. So the case was tried at the magistrate's court on August 12th, 1973. But by this date, this poor girl was traumatized. She was, she was not okay. And she could not go into court and tell the court what happened. So she did not testify. I mean, I don't blame her. She was not okay. So because she wouldn't testify. They got off, huh? Yeah, the charges the charges were reduced. They pled guilty to indecent assault causing actual bodily harm. Each of them were fined 50 pounds, and the couple was allowed to walk free. Jesus. When Owens heard this, she tried to kill herself. She was terrified. Yeah, because now they've gotten away with it. What's stopping them from coming out again? For sure. They know where you live. Yeah, yeah. Fred's sexual interest in his daughters was disgusting, Mm, and it was a serious thing. When Anne-Marie moved out to live with her boyfriend, he switched his attentions to the younger siblings, Heather and May. Mm. Heather resisted his attentions, and in 1987, she told a friend what was going on in the house, and that sparked an investigation. And Fred and Rose... Right, but what did Fred and Rose say? If you ever tell anybody what, and that's exactly what they did. Mm -hmm. They responded by murdering her, dismembering her, and burying her in the back garden, making their son, Stephen, dig the hole. On August 6th, 1992, Fred was arrested after being accused of raping his 13-year-old daughter three times, and Rose was arrested for child cruelty. The case again collapsed in June, on June 7th, 1993, because May wouldn't testify against him. She was fucking scared. Well, she just watched her sister get killed yeah. because she f- Because spoke she up. spoke. Absolutely. All five of the West younger children, though, were finally removed from their custody and put into foster homes. The case brought light to the disappearance of Heather, who had not been seen since 1987, and this triggered the major investigation that followed. Police search the residence, and what they find is absolutely chilling. Mm -hmm. The human remains of the following people. Linda Goof lived in Gloucester with her family. She attended the local primary school and then enrolled in private school in Midland Road. She later worked as a seamstress and became friends with the lodgers at the West Home at 25 Cromwell Street. It is believed that she had sex with some of them. The 19-year-old vanished in April 1973, and her parents reported her missing. Her remains were found in a former car inspection pit in a garage that had been converted into a bathroom at 25 Cromwell Street. Mm-hmm. Carol Ann Cooper, Cooper, known as Kaz. She was born in Lutton, Bedfordshire, and later lived in Warshire. At the time of her disappearance in November 1973, she was staying at the Pines Children's Home. She had, been, she had been given permission to spend the weekend with her grandmother and disappeared after boarding a bus back home following a night out on November 10th. Extensive inquiries were made by officers, but they were just unable to find her. Her body was found buried in the cellar at 25 Cromwell Street. Detectives concluded that Wes had picked her up while she was hitchhiking. Lucy Partington. 
She was born in St. Albans and moved to Bishop's Cleve soon afterwards. The Cleve, the clever and much-liked woman, went to Exeter, Exeter University, and on, 20, on December 20th, 1973, she returned home for Christmas. The 21-year-old disappeared two days after leaving a friend's house. It is thought that the West picked her up while she was waiting for a bus to go home. Her mother reported her missing to police, and this sparked a massive search, a massive investigation. Never found her. Her remains were found beneath the floor at the cellar of 21 Cromwell Street. Therese Sinclair, 21. She was a student at London College. She had left school at the age of 16, but continued her education, studying for a diploma in secretarial studies. It is believed that she came to England in the early 1970s to continue her studies. At the weekend, she worked at a ballet store. Um, she was described as petite with blondish hair. She disappeared on Easter 1974, having set out on hitchhiking to Ireland to visit a friend who was a priest. Oh, wow. It is thought that she was well, um, it is thought that she well used hitchhiking and she used to boast to friends that, hey, I can look after myself, right? We hear that a lot in the hitchhiking stories. It's yeah. always the seasoned hitchhikers. <laughs> Her remains, too, were found under the floor at the cellar of 2125 Cromwell Street. Shirley Hubbard, 15. She was born in, Br in Birmingham and was given the name of Shirley Lloyd, though she was also known as Shirley Owen. Her parents separated when she was two years old and she was taken into, into care. In 1972, she decided that she wanted to be called Shirley Hubbard, Hubbard, although her name was never officially changed. Mm. She attended uh, Droitwich High School, and at the time of her disappearance, she was engaged in working at um, Debahams in Warshire. On November 14, 1974, she left work and was believed to have been traveling home, but disappeared. She was reported missing, but no trace was ever found of her. Her remains were eventually found under the floor of the cellar, on Cromwell Street. Juanita Mott, born in 1957, went to school in Gloucester, leaving in 1972 to take up a number of short terms in the city or short term jobs in the city. She was rebellious, difficult, strong willed, but very attractive and very, very outgoing. In April 1975, when she was 18 years old, she left her address in New Ent and was believed to be traveling to Gloucester, but she vanished the day before a friend's wedding. Mm. Her disappearance was not reported to the police though. Her family contacted Missing Persons Bureau and the media. Her remains were also found in the cellar of 25 Cromwell Street. Shirley Ann Robinson. She was born in Leicestershire and later lived in both Germany and the West Midlands. See, she lodged with Fred and Rosemary West and became Fred West's lover. Oh. She saw herself as Rose's replacement. And it had been suggested that she told Fred to get rid of her and to be with her. She was outward looking and rather worldly, but she conceived a child with Fred. Oh. And she was eight months pregnant when she was last seen. Her body and her unborn child were found buried in the gardens of the West home. Allison Chambers, 
known as Al or Ali, was born, born in Hanover in West Germany, where her father was serving in the RAF. He later moved to Swansea. At the age of 16, also a rebellious teenager, she went to live in a children's home in Gloucester. She was known to be a frequent visitor to 25 Cromwell Street. Mm. Eek. She disappeared in August 1979, shortly before her 17th birthday, and her disappearance was reported to the Missing Persons Bureau and, init- and initially to the police as an absconder from care. Her remains were found in the garden of 25 Cromwell Street. Oh, man. Yeah. After the police found the human remains and apparent signs of torture at 25 Cromwell Street, Rose, along with Fred, was arrested. Finally, in February of 1994. 94. Yep. During her trial, Rose denied murdering any of the victims and insisted that her husband had committed everything all by himself. Oh, I thought they she loved did each other nothing. so much. She they did just... nothing. She never touched anybody. They're... She never nothing. They're always so quick to switch on each other. Oh, yeah. But she is innocent. She was a victim. She had no knowledge of anything. He was going to kill me. Absolutely. She didn't do anything. I was going to get it next. Everybody's lying. The kids are lying. He's lying. Everybody's lying. Yeah, because that doesn't even include all the kids that they killed. Right. Or the kids that are testifying against them. Mm-hmm. She didn't do any of it. He did all of it. She also claimed to have tried to stop him. Like, she didn't want any of this to happen. Like, she wanted it to stop. She tried to stop him. He just wouldn't listen. Mm-hmm. Fucking Fred, man. Seriously. She continued to, per, per, um, like, profess ignorance of her husband's activities. But, hello? Like, there's tons and tons of evidence against this bitch. Tons of also, evidence. Also, it always cracks me up when, like, spouses say that. There's, like, other, like, serial killers that are, like, oh, whichever one here in, in the U.S. buried people in his ba- in the crawl space. Yeah. House. How the fuck did you not smell the decomposing bodies in your house? Seriously. I'm, don't say you didn't know. Okay. Don't say you didn't Charmaine. know. Charmaine. What happened to Charmaine then? He was in fucking jail. He didn't have anything to do with that one. Nothing at all. Fucking wild, man. So, anyway. So, Fred was charged with two further murders. She was charged with ten. He was charged with two more. Because he killed somebody before he met her. But anyway. Yeah. On December 13th, 1994, he was charged with a total of 12 murders. But, he's a coward-ass bitch. So, he hung himself in his cell while waiting trial. Oh, yeah. I mean, sound makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Rose went on to trial because she's innocent. Right. Right. On October 3rd. That just shows his guilt. Come on. He killed himself. He was so sorry for what he did. He just couldn't. Yeah. Duh. Right. She went on trial October 3rd, 1995. The jury unanimously found her guilty, obviously, on 10 separate counts of murder on November 22nd, 1995. She was then sentenced to life in prison without parole. Bye, bitch. But, oh, fuck. she refuses to accept her fate and she launches appeals, both in 1996 and 2000, claiming there's new evidence that's coming to light and there's this huge media interest and, and, that, provi- and that prevented her from having a fair trial. And the judge is like, yeah, go fuck yourself. <laughs> 1996, the appeal was rejected and nothing. So she's, 
she remained incarcerated. Okay, good. I thought you were going to be like, oh, yeah, so she got let out because they were like, oh, you're just No, nice no, but this her. is going to piss you off. God damn it. The West Home at 25 Cromwell Street, or what it's known as the House of Horrors, got knocked down. They tore that thing down. They were like, no, this is bad juju. Nobody yeah. is ever going to live here. Nobody's no. ever going to. So it was tore down. She was, again, the main focus of media attention in January 2003, when it was claimed that she was to marry Dan Glover, a bass player of a rock group called Slade, following a courtship via letters. Mm. Glover, though, like totally disputes that there was ever an engagement and said to the media that his letters, like this he actually, it cost him his position with the band. The band was like, no, get kick rocks. Like if you're associating with her, you're not in our band anymore. So it cost him a lot. Yeah. He says that it wasn't true, but there's letters there. The jail keeps right. track of that. So whatever. They're all scanned. You all right. see them all. So how's our girl doing in jail? How's yeah. she doing in prison? I'm sure that she's like the mother figure. Well, but she did crimes against children, sexual crimes against children. Yeah. What happens to sexual crimes against children in prison? In America. God damn it. What? Just tell me. If you were in America, bitch, you'd be dead. Yeah. Like, there's a, there's a whatever. But here in England, correction officers offered Rose the best cell block and a very well-decorated cell, complete with a TV and a shelf full of little trinkets. Officers will say, quote, we've got to keep her sweet to stop her from kicking off. So they don't want her, they don't want her to cause problems. So they just give her whatever, whatever. She is very well taken care of. She has access to whatever she wants. So what does that mean health-wise? She has ballooned to a weight that is very, very, very unhealthy to the point that she has to have help getting off the toilet. Oh my God. So... I mean, clearly food is not rationed for her. Jesus Christ. Okay. She also now goes by the name of Jennifer Jones. Oh. She told friends that she changed her name to distance herself from her crimes. From the crimes, not her crimes. Because she's innocent. She's, innocent. she's in jail right. innocently. Come on. Right. Get with the program. She chose the name because it's super common. Mm. Yeah. A former inmate, Catherine Jones, tells the Sunday People, which is a paper... That Rose believes that God has forgiven her. Isn't that always interesting? How God just always immediately forgives everybody as soon as they go to jail. Right. What he, a forgiving man. She reportedly is a devout chapel attendee. Uh, of course she is. Mm -hmm. She's found God now. And oh, she's, they always do. She's, she's fine. They yeah. always do. Um, so if you, if you believe in God, and don't quote me on this, but I mean this is, this is what it says, right? The Bible says this. It is better that a millstone be tied around your ankles and you be thrown in the depths of the sea than to offend one of these, my children. Does the Bible not say something mm -hmm. like something that? To that something to that effect. So when you do things against kids, sweet girl, you're going to answer Thou to shall your not God. Kill. Right. You're going to answer to your God. Mm -hmm. So, but she's innocent. So, but, but if she's innocent, then why would God have to forgive her? Right. She has nothing to be forgiven for. Right. So anyway, she is treated like royalty. She was treated like royalty in prison. The short haired convict spent her time baking cakes, oh. getting massages and listening to music. 
That sounds lovely. In October 2018, she even won a prison bake-off competition. I would never eat anything that that fucking bitch made. Ever. Jail sources say that Rose viewed herself as the, pat- as the prison matriarch. Yeah, I was going to say, it's like she's mm-hmm. the mother, right? She's also very welcoming to new convicts and also befriends some of the harder cases that are coming into prison. Mm. Poor thing. Oh, oh, but then she gets transferred. Why? Why does she get transferred? She was transferred in 2019 to HM Prison in Newhall in West Yorkshire. Why? Because there's another serial killer coming in. Joanna Dehaney, who wanted to fucking kill her. Hmm. Who knew her story and was like, "Uh uh-uh, this prison isn't big enough for the two of us. I'm going to kill her. Mm -hmm. So they got her the hell out of there. But Rose was like unconsolable while prison officials were packing her belongings to make her to get ready for the for the transfer. Right. She was gutted that she had to leave. She was in tears and the prison officers were just packing up her stuff. She was super, super upset. She did not want to go. Obviously, she didn't want to go. Right. Who knows right? what your situation is. It's been a home to her for more than 10 years. And she's an elderly woman now, right? So, and you go to a different prison and you're not going to get your own little private cell with your own private TV and your own little trinkets and knickknacks and whatever. Like, that's not the way that it's going to yeah, work, no. right? But... She's 67. She's not elderly. She's not like whatever. And she's currently serving her sentence at Newhall Prison in Wakefield, where she's gained the nickname Aunt Rose because she reminds staff of their old relatives and she loves to knit. I don't. She's allowed to have knitting needles? (laughs) Bitch, what? Right. No way. I don't understand. Mm-mm. I don't understand how people can do shit like that and ever find social forgiveness. Okay, fine. God wants to forgive who want, God wants to forgive. Whatever. Whatever. But social forgiveness should never come. Ever. Right. Right. By people like this. And you can say her father did it to her so it was all she knew. Her mom had that electro whatever when she was pregnant with her whatever. No, it's a motherfucking choice. It's a choice. And when something is done to you that hurts you, why would you ever fucking do that to somebody else? Your own children. Yeah, she killed a lot of her own children. <laughs> if you don't want them, give them stop to somebody else. Stop having them. Well, stop having them and give them to somebody else. There's millions of people out there who can't have children who would love the opportunity to raise a child. Stop having children. So how do you think the kids are doing? This is a great question, right? Like, what happened to these kids? Yeah. Like... Do they follow in the footsteps of their mother? Is it environmental? Is it? Well, so Rose was a mother of eight children, right? Five of those were fathered by Fred. Three were fathered by clients. Mm -hmm. He had two. Well, one, but two. Yeah, two. So we're talking about 10 kids here. And so there's Heather Ann. Mary June, Louise, Stephen, and Barry. Those were their kids together. Rose had Tara, Rosemary Jr., and Lucy by other men. And then there was Charmaine and Anne Marie. Okay. So Charmaine was killed. Heather was killed by them. And not a whole lot is known about the other kiddos. Um, how they turned out or how they're doing today. May actually believed 
that her mom was innocent for a long time. But she was a kid, okay? But didn't May watch Heather get killed? Yup. But the memory of a child, like you can, you can impress memories and manipulate memories on children. It's actually quite easy to do. Yeah. So, but she did eventually come out of it through therapy or whatever. And she actually just wrote a book, not right. just, but she wrote a book and that's how she kind of coped with that. Not a whole lot is known about Louise. As a child, she confided in a friend about the crimes that she witnessed and, and she was very, very instrumental in cops in getting the conviction against her parents, but not a lot, not a lot is known. As for the sons, they had the two boys. Their youngest son, Stephen, the one who was made to dig the grave for his mm -hmm. dead sister, right? He was born in 1973. He had, he had some run-ins with the cops. Did he? <laughs> yeah, he did. And he spent some time behind bars for a sexual relationship with a 14-year-old girl. Mm -hmm. um, he's also been divorced twice. Other than that, I don't know. Barry West was the youngest of the of the um, couple's children. He was born in 1980. Um, the years of mental and physical abuse that he endured, he was never able to overcome. Um, he had serious mental health issues, which resulted in drug addiction. Um, he died in 2020 of a drug overdose. Oh, man. The eldest of this trio, Tara, she was born in 1977. She she would later claim that she survived the sexual abuse from Fred due to his lack of interest in any of his non-biological children. Oh, gross. That's, I mean, it's right. all really gross, but like... So ugh. she would go on to say, though, that he, he saw his own biological children as his property, and he was infatuated with that. But she also went on to state that she escaped Rose's abuse because her mother felt so guilty about knowing who her like biological father was. Mm -hmm. So according to her, she said, quote, I realize now that dad was only interested in his natural daughters. He thought that they were his property, like I just said. Mm -hmm. Because I wasn't his daughter, they all just left me alone. Yeah, it's gross. disgusting. It's disgusting. It's so gross. But she is one of the most notorious, horrific murderers of all time. I do find Fred. it interesting, and I'm sure I have a couple people this year that I want to talk to, couples that do stuff like this together. Yeah. It's very interesting to me. Yeah. It's interesting. Like, how, how do you people find each other? I was just going to say that. How exact did you thing. find somebody that is just as sick and fucking twisted as you? Right. What are the odds? What are the odds? It's disgusting. Well, I hate that. Well, and I, I it really pisses me off. England, that she's just happy in prison. Yeah, beat her ass. God, why? Uh, anyway. Jesus. Well, thanks for that trauma. Yeah. So there's our, there's our second episode. Ugh. <laughs> Ugh. Nasty. Gross. Okay. Thank you, guys. <laughs> Stay safe.